Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you don't face your personal relationship with money, if you don't face what you are feeling, if you don't understand the way you genuinely feel about wealth, if you dislike wealthy people, it's going to be impossible for you to generate wealth because your subconscious will be constantly protecting you and making sure that your beliefs are intact. It's taking a close look at your money wounds. The second chapter in the book eases you into looking at money from a completely different perspective. So it's not just limited to the stock market itself, but it's understanding wealth building opportunities. Very simple things like a 401k, a Roth, a high yield savings account, just really understanding that local bank that you might have is probably not paying you the best. You have to understand what inflation is doing to your money, which right now I feel like everybody gets it. But when things are good, we're not thinking about those things. So it's very basic level. The third chapter is ripping the band-aid off and just opening a brokerage account. What I like to talk about as well is you don't need to think of putting a lot into the market. Honestly, the greatest teacher is the stock market itself. If you want to start with $20 with a fractional share just to see what that process is like, you can start to see the movements of the market and start to see how you react emotionally. The stock market is your greatest teacher and time in the stock market is a winner. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. 
Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Linda, welcome back to the show. Such an honor to have you here again. And we are celebrating a very, very special occasion because you have a brand new book out. And the fact that you are a Latina writing a book about investing, girlfriend, all the flowers, all the applause. We are so proud of you. And um, congratulations. My God. Thank you so much. It's been such a journey for sure. Like I just got a message today from my assistant who is about to start at UT. And he's like, I'm going to look to see if your book is in the library. And he looked it up and he put in minority, the stock market. And it's the only book that, I mean, we're not surprised, right? But it's the only book. Not surprised at all. The only book that came out. (laughs) Hopefully this is the start of a movement that is being led by you. And so my gosh, just first off, congratulations. This is such a monumental thing for a Latina to be a published author in general, but then to be talking about money, incredible. And we're going to talk all about what that journey has been like for you. Some of the biggest lessons that you've learned and just like all the shit that has come up. Cause I'm sure the same things that I'm having come up in my own book journey, you probably had come up in your journey as well. <laughs> yes. Let's get into it. I'm ready. All right, let's do this. <laughs> so let's start off for anybody who hasn't already met you, who doesn't know your work. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I have a community called In Lose We Trust, where I educate mainly Latinas. That is the majority of the group, but anyone that finds ally with the sentiments of being a Latina in this country and the wage gap. I personally teach on investing directly into the stock market. So being a direct shareholder, the entire process from the very beginning, very basic level foundation education. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this was not part of your plan. You were not born in life planning to be a an author writing about the stock market. Hell no, <laughs> not writing about the stock market, not in a million years. Although I did want to be an author, that was definitely something that I knew in my heart that was going to happen in my life. Like there was a time where I you know, was just like read The Secret right off of Oprah. And I read The Alchemist. This was like back in 2007. And I was saying I was an author. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was like, this doesn't feel right. But I mean, that's how much I put it into the universe at one point in time. So I knew it was going to happen, but never, ever in a million years did I think it would be on the stock market. I think this is why it's so important for us to be malleable with our aspirations and our dreams. Like, while we might have inklings on what we know we want to achieve, we have no idea what the package is going to look like. And we have to be open for what it might look like. Okay, so it almost sounds like you manifested this journey. But I'm curious, like, what is it about being an author that you think appealed to you even way back when? Like, what did it mean to you? When I first read The Alchemist, I was on a flight to back to my home state from Texas, headed to California to go quote unquote visit. And I devoured the book on the flight and it completely shook me to the core. It made me realize that I am not where I'm supposed to be, that I need to be more bold and direct in my decisions. And I can't necessarily live my life appeasing to everyone around me. Like I needed to make some drastic changes. And I got off of that plane and I only came back to Texas to give away everything in my apartment. And I threw my clothes in a box, shipped it to myself. And that was the end of being here. And I went off to pursue a career in film. And moving through this, I was astonished by what books can do, like how a book can totally revolutionize your entire life, something that was written years ago and wasn't necessarily written specifically for you, but something in it had the power to move you. And I have lived a long life full of so much trauma, so much trauma. I mean, I stopped living with my parents when I was 12 years old, just to give you an idea. I had my first child, my daughter, at 14 years old. I was pregnant at 13. I was in gangs. I was homeless. I mean, the list goes on. Despite those types of experiences that I had, I always aspired for something better in my life. I always aspired to learn from the mistakes that I had made and to not count myself out of the game. And I think one of the things that I found so appealing in books was that my story could somehow serve a purpose and it wouldn't just be in vain. The pain wouldn't just be for me. It would could potentially be used as a lesson for someone else and save somebody some time and maybe inspire. And so that's what made me want to be a writer. I love that. I was always the type of kid that I devoured books as a child, but now I wish I had more time to like sit down and read and thank God for podcasts and audiobooks because that's how I learn nowadays. But I always have been an avid learner and it's always come through books. So I think it can be a really powerful medium for transformation. And I think especially when we talk about something as male, pale and stale as money, when you see a Latina talking about it, it makes it real. It invites you into a world that you never saw yourself being a part of. And I'm curious for you, was there a book on the stock market or finance or investing that gave you your first foray? Or how did you start learning about this stuff? There definitely was not a book. There was not a resource. And I think that's what really propelled me further into the space because I had been a direct shareholder since 2013, since January of 2013, after spending half of 2012 
contemplating whether I was going to make this decision because it's not an easy decision to make, most especially when we're not encouraged to be direct shareholders, when we're taught it's risky, when we're taught it's not for us. So the more that I leaned into that space and understood and watched what the stock market was doing, specifically to my colleagues, I was working at Netflix at the time. And getting to be in the tech environment and all of the money, like how rich and abundant tech is and seeing like, whoa, this is unimaginable to me, like to get to my workplace and there's fresh breakfast, like fruit and all kinds of food just spread out. And then lunchtime, there's catered dinner from a different, really nice restaurant in Los Angeles. And then there's snacks and just all of this money that is flooding that I feel like I was absorbing something by osmosis and the raising of money and the stock market and the earnings calls to get to see every quarter when we had an earnings call, all the hype and the commotion with my colleagues and to get to see portfolios that had over a million dollars to hear stories about how many employees retired from their million dollar portfolios after working at Netflix. I really just started to see a world that did not exist at all in mine. And my colleagues really demystified it. One colleague specifically, but so many were invested because that's what you do. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? But like for me, it was like, that is absolutely not what you do. You do not do that. And I don't, I can't tell you how many times while I'm working there, friends, family, stranger, like any conversation that was had about the stock market, like people were like, oh, be careful. You got to sell out any little thing that would come out. And I was like observing this from a completely different space where I'm watching my money grow for me personally as what I knew money to be, to watch it to grow exponentially and to think, how is this not accessible? Why aren't we talking about it? And so that's really what propelled me into the space is first having really intimate discussions with my closest friends and then being like, fuck it. I'm just going to show people my portfolio. I'm going to talk about how much money I've made because this doesn't seem fair. And I kind of feel low key like a gatekeeper for not talking about this publicly earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when we think about older generations, a lot of them didn't even have access to like corporate jobs. So it makes sense like why the hell they don't know what the hell a 401k is, or they have no idea what the stock market is because they didn't even have access to it. But now our first generation of kids who are being born here, who are getting college degrees, who are ending up in companies like Netflix, We are being asked to navigate these systems with no foundation and no wonder nobody knows what the hell to do and no wonder there's so much fear around it. How did you navigate your own fear around making that decision? Because you didn't have any examples from your community that were doing this. It was very much a understanding that the fear of the stock market isn't necessarily pertaining to the stock market. It's pertaining to money overall as a whole. And so I'm watching these emotions take place, but I'm also watching myself being scared of a lot of other things pertaining to money, whether it's not having money, losing money. There's just so much emotion surrounding money. 
And so I really started to understand how fear is really amplified in the stock market, but doesn't pertain to the stock market. It, fear usually at the core of fear is the lack of education or the lack of understanding for something, no matter what it is. It's just the unknown. And so the more I leaned into it, the less I was afraid of it. And almost like the more I leaned into the experience, the less I was afraid of money overall. And I was starting to understand the abundance in money instead of looking at it like a pie in the sky that I had to like beg for crumbs <laughs> for. I started to really see it as grains of sand on a beach that it was infinite and that one person didn't have enough hands to shovel it all in. But that is what we see. We see a limited amount of folks developing extreme wealth. And that's because they are not fearful of money. They don't have fear towards money. They understand how to use it as a tool. And so that's where I started to see the separation in what was happening. So, you know, I think what happens for a lot of us in our community is we kind of demonize wealth, right? When you think about like how religion talks about wealth in the sense of like excess or gluttony or greed, I mean, I think it, it makes sense in my brain why so many people are like, oh, well, wealth is bad or rich people are bad or whatnot. How do we fight those narratives, right? Because I've gotten some pushback from people that are like, oh, well, you're actually just part of the problem now because you're telling people to go out here and use this capitalist system to build wealth. And somehow that we've equated that to be like exploitation. It's so interesting because most of those people are typing on an iPhone. Ooh, <laughs> talk about it. You know what I mean? It's like, listen, you're either here to be a consumer or you're here to be an owner. Mm. And unfortunately, we are taught how to be consumers. And so the importance of the work that you're doing and why it's so valuable is because we're demystifying becoming an owner, however that may look like, whether it's an entrepreneur whether it's investment properties, whatever that is. And I think what like gets me so riled up is like the opportunities that you're creating for other Latinas, whether you're hiring Latinas to take a picture of you, edit that picture, help you with a website, whatever it is, wherever you're putting your dollars to work. Like I just, I have patience for that perspective because it's a common narrative and we're like an echo chamber. And a lot of us haven't really stopped to listen to a different perspective. And it's so important to have these types of platforms where we get to share the perspective and understanding and that like we live in the United States of America and there is such pain when it comes to marginalized community and access of resource and access of money. And somebody's got to bring the resources back or be the resource and give us information on how to accumulate so that we can start to have freedom. And instead of trading in our mental health and our well-being for money, to understand that money actually works for itself, stop being a consumer and start participating and becoming an owner. It's just lack of education from my perspective. And I get it. There's so many reasons to be angry at the system, most especially, I think for me, two of the spaces where I really don't like capitalism is 
when it comes to our education and when it comes to our healthcare, right? Especially because that's affected us the most in those two spaces. I would love to see that neutralized where there's access to education and healthcare for more. But when it comes to consumerism and creating a product from your mind and having the ability to sell that myself as an entrepreneur, I think that there's a huge landscape for us to take opportunity in the fact that this could potentially be one of the only books that is written by a Latina on direct shareholder in the stock market and how to get started. I don't know if that's a fact or not, but if that is a fact, like think of the landscape. Look at how many white freaking books we have on this topic. Like there's so much abundance, most especially for minorities as we're starting to recognize more and more that white companies can't necessarily meet our needs as individuals. We need more minorities stepping up, creating corporations for us to consume their products. Absolutely. I always tell people like we can either be victims of the environment or we can recreate the environment. And by being an owner, you can have policies that are actually like rooted in DEI. You can have the ability to hire people of color. You can bridge that wage gap. You can pay people a living wage, right? So we can either continue to be victims to the circumstances or we can decide I'm going to reshape this landscape and I'm going to be an active part in it. And that's what ownership does. So tell me about the title, Wealth Warrior. I mean, those are two powerful words to put together. What was the inspiration for the title? And what is what is a wealth warrior? The inspiration for the title, you know, it's interesting because that's how deeply Paulo Coelho it has influenced me. But he does have a book called Guerrero de la Luz, Guerrero de la Luz, Light Warrior. And that's what influenced my handle early a long time ago when Twitter first <laughs> asked us to come up with a handle and an avatar, which was Lose Warrior. And Wealth Warrior is very much influenced by that and that there's this opposite. There's like this dichotomy. There's this darkness and there's this lightness. There's this war and there's this abundance that's taking place. And so Wealth Warrior is really about the journey within internally to take on your toxic relationship with money, your negative beliefs that are keeping you from accumulating wealth or living a life where you don't have to worry about the phone bill or or your rent or, or any of those things. So it's just this internal process that you go to where there's a lot of negative that you have to overcome internally. And so, yeah, that's, that's, I love it where it comes from. Okay. So you are actually one of the very like unique personalities in this conversation around money. I think especially in the Latino community, because from what I see, a lot of investment or investing influencers will talk about index funds, ETFs, kind of like that risk managed approach to stock investing. Whereas you are a proponent of like individual stocks, direct ownership. Can you tell me why? It's because it generates the most returns. <laughs> Because it makes the most money. <laughs> but also because only 15% of Americans are direct shareholders. So we have 85% of Americans telling other Americans it's too risky. And they're speaking from a perspective where maybe they're not investors. So they're projecting their own fears onto someone else. Or they are gatekeeping or they don't think that 
anyone else is intelligent enough to make decisions in the stock market, right? And so it's not about encouraging folks to buy in on a certain company. I stay away from that. It's about understanding how the stock market works, the level of returns that come back from the stock market. It's also not about finding a needle in a haystack, which I know is always like a really common perspective. It's about what the masses are consuming, what you're consuming, and making sure that you hold ownership in the space. And so it's been 10 years since I've invested. And the more and more I learn, the more and more I'm shocked. Because I mean, not only are only 15% of Americans direct shareholders, but out of those 15%, 90% of them are white. And then It's the top 10% most wealthiest people in this country that own those 90% of shares. So the wealthiest top 10% pretty much own the entire stock market. And so it's very sus to me that like we constantly feed each other the this is too dangerous, this is too dangerous. Like what is going to happen? Netflix will disappear tomorrow? Apple will go away. I mean, if those two things go away, then the aliens have already like they're taking over our houses and we don't need money anyways. No, we need to be preparing the bunker because it's about to be World War Z up in this bitch. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And just for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what direct ownership means, like what does that mean? Are you holding stock in a specific type of account or like how does it work? Yeah. So it's a a brokerage account where typically you would have a Roth IRA or traditional IRA. And in that brokerage account, you have the ability or the freedom to purchase shares from a publicly traded company. And a publicly traded company, those are companies that you can own a piece of. A lot of the times there's like this misconception of so-and-so owns Amazon or so-and-so owns Google. And actually, no, they don't own those companies. We as shareholders own those companies and the CEO or the CFO, those are people that the shareholders have placed in charge. And you get to make certain decisions. You have voting rights that you can exercise surrounding the company. And so one of the things that I also like to really put out there is As minorities, if we were to become more invested in these publicly traded companies where we own a piece of the company, we rightfully, we can email them and begin to ask questions. And because we're shareholders, they would be forced to answer because we are part owners of the company. So I always talk about like, imagine how much power we would have if we all became shareholders and the the real change that we can start to propose on these publicly traded companies. So yes. Yeah, it's, it's one thing to be an employee. It's another thing to be an owner. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you talk about in your book, something called an opportunity fund. Tell us what that is. I've never heard of it. So an opportunity fund is what most folks would call an emergency fund. So it is just looking at your life experience from a completely different lens. That's all it is. 
So when you have an opportunity fund and, for example, if your roof needs to be replaced, then you have an opportunity to increase equity in your home because now your home has a new roof. So it's really just changing the perspective on how you think about money. A lot of the times we are in this fight or flight mode or scarcity mode that I think the perspective of a emergency fund, like immediately, I think of like the worst thing. My mom was always like, you have to have money so that if she would start listing all of the potential bad things that would happen. And I'm like, mom, you just casted like 20 spells on me. Like, (laughs) you know, like she was always thinking worst case scenario. And I'm just like, can we please just like think positively. Like, can we please just look at it from a completely different perspective so that we distance as much fear as possible and anxiety as possible surrounding money and instead look at opportunities that are always available to us, most especially when shit is hitting the fan. That is when we have the most beautiful opportunities accessible to us. Yeah. And speaking of fear and emergencies as a millennial, an elder millennial now, because I'm 38, I've now seen the Great Recession and now this COVID-19 pandemic. And I watched the reactions of society, people pulling money out of the stock market, people running for the hills, all that shit. You have been uh, very vocal about the fact that these are actually things we should run towards, these cataclysmic events. Why is that? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, history has taught us that. So it's not necessarily something that I've come up with. It's just history that has taught us that. When I was in my 20s, I was really obsessed with becoming wealthy. And so I started to consume content surrounding wealth, not necessarily the stock market specifically, just surrounding wealth. And one of the most common experiences that would consistently come up is how millionaires are made in recessions. Like it is when there are hard times that a lot of money is actually created. Money's in the early stages of being developed. And so then I experienced 2008. I was 28 years old at the time. Oh my gosh, I was 28 years old at the time. And I was not living my best life. Like I was looking for my dreams. I was in LA 28, working all kinds of jobs, just trying to make it into a movie studio. And as I'm reading all this money literature and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I've completely missed my opportunity. My opportunity is right now, 2008. Like this is the opportunity. And so I got to see from firsthand experience from this perspective, a lot of folks create so much wealth. I was living in Los Angeles at the time and 
There were folks that were leaning into buying houses while everyone was running for the hills, you know, and they're leaning into buying houses. Now they've built like massive generational wealth based on 2008. And so this is something that has been taking place forever. It's called creative destruction. It's something that takes place as we're facing a crisis. In 2008, we got to see Bitcoin be invented, Airbnb, Uber, so many incredible companies that come from the problems and the issues that are taking place. And so that is what's happening right now. It's a time to lean in and learn. You know, I get so frustrated. I don't know how you feel about this topic right now in these last two years, but it's so exhausting. And at the same time, like it's exhausting to constantly, do you hear me? Like I want to <laughs> shake people, <laughs> you I know? you. And then I'm just like, I don't even want to do this anymore. Like, I'm tired yeah, of like, it. I'm good. I'm good. It's like, exactly. y'all figure it out. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, why don't I just like stop and just fo do me and just worry about my investments and worry about me in the stock market? Like, que me importa? You know, you know? <laughs> like, and then I just, I hear another statistic and I get, I grab the mic again, you know, <laughs> standing from the rooftops. Like, <laughs> yeah. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, though, because I've seen the same situation happen in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. You know, the island was devastated. And then you had real estate venture capitalists and all these people come in and buy up swaths of the island. And now people that live in Puerto Rico can't even afford to live there. Why? Because the exact thing happened, the exact same thing that happened in 2008, where people started acquiring properties that were distressed, very under market value. Now they've gone up. Now we're in a place where I purchased a condo last year in a building where right after the hurricane, those condos oceanfront were going for like $50,000. Now you can't buy one for less than 200000 But the people that had to take that risk had the opportunity funds to take advantage of when shit pops off. And I think I've seen so many examples of this that now my mindset has been completely shifted where... I would see those types of events and be like, ooh, let's stay away. Let's not invest. Let's pull back. Let's let things ride out to be like, now I'm like, no, where can I put more money? And that's exactly what I was doing during the pandemic. And I think a big part of that was why I was able to reach a coast financial independence by my mid thirties, which I would have never been able to even wrap my head around. It's just leaning in. Yeah. It's so crucial. Yeah. So you have eight steps for us to conquer the stock market. You don't have to give us all now because obviously we want folks to pick up the book. But what are the first three steps that we should be doing? So the first one, hands down, always. I don't care how much financial literacy you take in. If you don't face your personal relationship with money, if you don't face what you are feeling, what your beliefs are in terms of like we just talked about religious beliefs that a lot of the times are actually misinterpreted. If you don't understand the way you genuinely feel about wealth, if you dislike wealthy people, it's going to be impossible for you to generate wealth because your subconscious will be constantly protecting you and making sure that your beliefs are intact. So it's taking a close look at your wounds, at your money wounds. The second chapter in the book eases you into looking at money from a completely different perspective. So it's not just limited to the stock market itself, but it's understanding wealth 
wealth building opportunities, like very simple things like a 401k, a Roth, a high yield savings account, just really understanding like that local bank that you might have is probably not paying you the best. You have to understand what inflation is doing to your money, which right now I feel like everybody gets it. Everybody gets inflation. But when things are good, we're not thinking about those things. And so it's very basic level. And then the third chapter is ripping the Band-Aid off and just opening a brokerage account, like getting you right into the steps of opening that account. I love that because even if you are in a position where, let's say, you're focusing on debt payoff versus like investing, just knowing that that account is there and ready and waiting for you for when you do become debt free, you can start deploying that money that you were using towards debt to start building wealth. Like that's half the battle, y'all. Because if you don't even have the tool that you need in order to start exercising these options, you're already behind the the eight ball. Yeah, and what I like to talk about as well is like you don't need to think of putting a lot into the market, honestly, because I could write a book. There could be 20 million people telling you what to do and how to do it in the stock market. But for me, I think the greatest teacher is the stock market itself. And so while you can get the basics out of the way from the book, it's really important to actually learn from the market itself. And a lot of the times, you know, if you want to start with $20 with a fractional share, just to see what that process is like, if Whatever company you bought into, that fractional share, if it goes up 3%, 5%, those 20 bucks will incur that. If it goes down 10%, those 20 bucks will go down 20%. But at least you can start to see the movements of the market and start to see how you react emotionally. The stock market is your greatest teacher and time in the stock market is a winner. Absolutely. Okay, so you don't necessarily have a formal background in finance, right? So how did you navigate the imposter syndrome that I know damn well came up for you when you start writing down stuff on a book that you're like, oh, wow, this is going to be my legacy. Like these words are going to live on forever. How the hell do you navigate that? Because I'm navigating the same thing. (laughs) Yo, you know, I was so scared at times that I would start to shake out of fear and I would start to shake so hard that I could feel like my lonjitas shaking. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like my belly would start shaking. And that is how scared I was. Like I would have nightmares of white dudes in black suits knocking at my door in the middle of the night, like ready to arrest me. Like the SEC was going to show up. Like, am I allowed to do this? I had so much imposter syndrome. I mean, so much so that I questioned even writing the book, like to begin with, like it was something that I was approached to do by my publisher and by my agent who back then were not my publisher and were not my agent. But I was like, I'm scared. Like I was just honest, like I'm scared. And they're like, we've watched you. We know we've taken your courses. We know, you know, your stuff. And don't worry, there's going to be lawyers that read your book. There's going to be an entire team that reads this book. And I was like, the more I thought about it, the more fear I had towards not writing the book and what that would mean if I didn't. And so I just went at it. And you know what? The other thing is that there's so many folks in my community. There's so many Latinas in my community that have degrees in finance and they talk so much about how they never learned the specifics on the stock market. 
like, I don't know what school you have to go to to get that knowledge or where <laughs> if it's just legacy or what, but they take my course to learn that part and be able to have conversations with the people that they work with and whoever they're serving, which is crazy to me. Like we even had a producer from CNBC take the course. And she was like, my colleagues need to take your course. And I'm like, for those that don't know, CNBC is the channel that all day they give stock news. Okay. Literally. They're dedicated to that entire industry. What the hell? Yeah. But it's like, who teaches them? So I understood, okay, and I had a calling to talk about this, like a deep calling. I wasn't hearing from anyone in our community talking about this. Anyone that was was total bro dude. And I'm just like, fuck it. Well, I guess it's got to be me. And I hope the universe, source, angels, my ancestors, y'all got to be protecting me right now because <laughs> <laughs> that is real. I've been loving watching you going across your book tour and interacting with folks and just really getting to experience what it means to have this thing out here in the world. What do you think has been the biggest lesson that you've learned about yourself in this journey of becoming a new author? Besides being too fucking old? <laughs> <laughs> we tired, girl. We tired. I'm like, why wasn't this happening in my 20s or my 30s? <laughs> Here I am in my 40s. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But in honesty, like, that is a big part of this journey. I'm also faced with a lot of health issues. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I'm learning right now. I have gained 40 pounds in a short amount of time. And for someone that's 5'3", five, 5'2", five, I lie on my IG. <laughs> I'm like, no, 5'2", let me write it back. That's a lot of weight. And I'm watching a lot of my health go down and like cortisol and hormones and what I'm dealing with. So I'm was on it the this stress of the book. The stress. It was the stress wow. of like the book. Also, the stress of like the producing the content before the book, like the stress of creating a course. I mean, I'm not kidding when I, when I would say like I was so afraid I was shaking. Like I knew there was a need for this work and I was very respectful and delicate in it and made sure that my ego was continuously pulled out of the way and that I'm not here to tell you what to him. Like, here are the top 10 stocks you need to invest in. That's not me. It's like, no, these are the steps that you take. This is what the stock market means. This is what the bears mean. This is what the bulls mean. But so much, I took on a lot of stress of like fear of questioning what am I doing? I don't have the education. I don't have the background. Granted, I have the experience, but is that enough? And so I think the biggest lesson for me is putting myself first, which sounds so cliche, but when you start to travel and there's shit food and there's alcohol and all the things, it's like, it gets really hard to take care of yourself. And so I'm I'm now just getting really strong on my boundaries. Like whoever's flying me out, I need to be there by this time. My itinerary needs to be focused on my health. So that's like the biggest lesson. Yeah, Th that's really powerful. And I think a lot of folks can resonate with that, right? Because as Latinas, we're definitely programmed to give and give and give and like try to pour from an empty cup. And that self-preservation thing can almost be seen as like selfish, as not something that's normal to who we are. And I think 
part of what the wealth building journey has meant for me has been to be a little more selfish, has been to think about like, I matter first. I can't extend help to anybody. I can't extend myself to anybody if my shit's not even straight. And so what do you say to the first gen kids that are feeling a sense of guilt perhaps about building wealth because of what it means, because they have to prioritize themselves over maybe other people in the family right now? You know, it's really interesting because I know all of us can resonate with what you just described. It's like deep in us, right? It's the reason why our parents came to this country, sacrificed everything was for us. Even those that we weren't even born yet, you know, for my future kids, I'm sacrificing everything. And so it's really important for us to understand that if we're looking for ease and freedom and not become a burden to our own children and the next generation, then it is crucial that we stop this entire sort of idea of like our kids are going to take care of us, which was very much our parents' mentality on like, I know for my grandmother, she had 15 kids and that's like a huge 401k, really. Like that's the way they had a lot of land. They needed to cover the land. So that's the way they thought. And I think where our generation is working on doing and what is really difficult is generations and generations of looking to our kids to save us and instead save ourselves. We need to save ourselves. And then hopefully we have enough to pass down to the next generation, whether it's our children, nieces and nephews, or something you want to donate to that is going to benefit the future. So it's a transition, but I think a lot of us know we need to do it. It's important. Yeah. One of the things that I plan on talking about in my book is this idea of when Jenny from the block becomes Jenny with the bag. What I mean by that is like you are no longer identifying with the struggle that you grew up with. You start being seen by your community as othered, as, oh, you're not relatable anymore because you made it out the hood. You got money. You can't come back here and give us advice and tell us about life because you don't even relate to the shit anymore. What do you say to people who are navigating that space where they feel like the more successful or the more wealthy they become, the less a part of the community that they are, that they came from, you know, that they're a part of now? Well, it's very tribal for us to want to stay a part of the community. Like that's very much deeply embedded in how our ancestors were raised. Like you don't want to separate yourself from the tribe. But I think what's also really important for us to understand is that we're also here for a reason. We also have a destiny and a pursuit. And a lot of the times in our communities, we're taught to live for our parents' desires versus living for our own personal desires. There's so much to explore when we're exploring what our own personal desires are and what we are capable of as humans. And it's so important to display that to one another. Like, I want to see you do the things that I'm not able to do because I know that if I see you do those things automatically like you're going to decode me somehow and you're going to let me know that I can do those things too. And here's the thing. I want those things. I want bigger things. I want nicer things. And by bigger things, it doesn't necessarily mean accumulating a bunch of junk. It can mean incredible experiences. It can mean just having the freedom of selecting what it is that you want to do or what it is that you want to eat. Like I remember when I didn't have choices on what I was going to eat. 
And so that is part of the process where you have to break away from the tribe, but it doesn't mean that you're better than, it doesn't mean that you're putting anyone down. It just means that you're following your own personal journey in pursuit of something that gives you freedom and happiness. And I think we all have the right to experience that. So what do you think that people of color, maybe specifically Latinas, need to be focusing on building wealth more than ever before? I think the disparity is something that I'm tired of talking about. The representation is something that is just exhausting. I'm tired of talking about it. I think going back to what you just mentioned in terms of like the suffering, the sacrifice, I was having this conversation recently where we see like wealth and extreme wealth on one side of the spectrum. And then in our communities, I feel like we're closer to like the less you have. It's almost like the more abundant you are in your struggle and the more abundant you are in your struggle, the less you have, the more like powerful you are or grounded you are or real you are or the more you should be honored in some way. And so I feel like it's really important for us to understand that that's actually toxicity. Like, I don't think that universe God source put me here to be in constant suffering. I've had enough of that. And I think it's really important for us to just really tap into what it is that we want. And I need to see that reflected. I need to see you obtaining all the things and doing all the things. I love it. I know that you're big into like manifestation and mindset work. And I'm wondering if there's a single phrase or a mantra or something like that, that you live by and that keeps you motivated when you do have those moments where you're just like, why am I even doing this shit? (laughs) Yes. Had this one close to my heart for several years, probably since 2019. And I haven't adopted another one, but it's this concept of being unlimited supply. And I want to just describe it a little bit because I think I use it a lot. And and then some people are like, what does that even mean? Does that mean I have to like supply everything to everyone? And I'm like, oh my gosh, no, that is not (laughs) what it means. For me, unlimited supply and the thought of unlimited supply is this idea that I have the power to obtain anything I want from my mind from just my mind, just from thinking the thought. A lot of the times in our communities, we don't even know that we're allowed to think the thought or question what actually is. There's all of these boundaries that I can see them so clearly with just the space of asking why. Like some of us can't even ask why that can then lead us to how. And so I think for me, unlimited supply is the space where I get to ask why and I get to ask how. And I trust that divine God source universe is going to give me the answer. And a lot of the times the answer to what it is that I want, need, or desire, whether that's rest or whatever it is, I have to trust that it's going to come and tapping in and like, seeing it happen over and over and over again and making me understand that I too am limited supply. Just like the way I see, I think I've always seen white people be an unlimited supply where they just have all the things that I lusted over as a little girl, watching other little girls going to schools where mostly everyone was white and they had so many resources. And so for me, it's understanding that those things are accessible to me too, and they come via an idea. And a lot of the times that idea might come with fear of what is on the other side. But if I am able to move through that fear, everything that I'm seeking is on the other side of that. Like moving through writing the book, 
despite having nightmares and shaking and my biggest dream came true. Like this is truly what I wanted. And to get to hear from readers, their perspective on the book and how it's changed them and how it's motivated them. I'm like, there, there it is. There it is. Mm -hmm. There's that, that experience. There's the why that made all of the sacrifices worth it. I'm curious as a soon to be fellow author, would you do this again? I have asked myself this question so many (laughs) times. And to be just 100 with you, there's this part of me that thinks I should have waited a little. Oh, tell me about that. Like, I knew this was always going to happen, but I think like I was so early in building my business, just looking at this from the lens of an entrepreneur, putting my ego dream aside of going into Barnes and Noble and having a book signing, okay? Like just... Looking at this from the perspective of an entrepreneur, I think that it would have been much more beneficial for me to keep my head down, to like just keep my head down, continue building my business because the book is like another business all on its own. Oh, it derails everything. Everything. And so I just feel like if I could go back And if there was a way where I could like tell myself, don't worry, this isn't a missed opportunity, it's going to happen, just maybe not right now, then I do play with that. Mm, Honestly, that's real. And and I knew that this was something I wanted to do too. And I had to make some serious like restructuring changes to my business in order just to make space mentally, energetically, schedule wise to write this book. You know, like people think, oh yeah, they're out here giving like huge advances and blah, blah. Y'all, they know money in writing books. Okay. The money comes from the opportunities that come from the book, whether that's speaking engagements or, you know, special projects or increased enrollments in your programs, blah, 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 TV opportunities. But they ain't no money. The starving artist narrative of a book writer is fucking real. And so whenever somebody from our community shows up and does something as freaking miraculous as this, please understand like how important it is to support this work because this shit is not about the money. This is about the impact and about the legacy that we are basically paving in order for this not to be a world where all the books that we read are written by white men. 100. 100. And let's not even get into flipping the bill for your travel, girlfriend. <laughs> like your book tours and all of that, like all of that stuff. And the reality is that I don't even know that the support is there. Actually, I do know firsthand the support for A Latina, I can speak from my personal perspective, no one else's. And I've heard from other Latina writers that shared the same sentiment, the support for us in publicity and marketing that comes once this baby is released. It's all up to you. And the allies you will find on the publishing side, on the marketing and publicity side, are few and far between. So once this is out, it falls all on you. That was like the biggest pill for me to swallow because I kind of had this idea of like the heavy lifting happens during the writing process and the sacrifices happen during the writing process. I had no idea about what was coming once we were gearing up to 
the release of the book and pushing pre-sales and then going out there and sell the book. Like sometimes I feel like I'm campaigning or something. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I'm hitting every place I can in person and speaking and we're selling books like then to try and cover my travel fees because as writers, we get the books at a discount. And so a lot of the times what will happen is, and this is me giving you real experience, like I'll schedule something in whatever town and to cover my fees to go over there, I'm selling my books. First, you know, I have my book set up. No one knows who I am, which is great. When I walk into a space and no one knows who I am, I'm like, let's fucking go. Because my community, like, they know what to do. They've done the thing, right? They've purchased the book. They've done the thing. They've supported. But when there's a community that doesn't know me, I'm ready. And I have this table set up and I have my little books. And sometimes I step out of myself and I'm like, oh, (laughs) you're really out here trying to make some money. (laughs) You're so cute. And I tell my assistant, like, you better get ready to start swiping. Because once I hit that stage and I get off that stage, you watch. The first time I took him with me to an event and I rolled up there and then it was like, let's go game time. And literally the girls are buying the book and the book is covering my hotel stay to go talk to them. But then they post the book and then they share the book with someone else. And then someone else buys the book from... Barnes and Noble or Amazon or whatever it is, but it's wild. Girl, I'm getting ready for that marketing journey this fall and I'm a prey for my sanity. I'm going to really, really try to learn all these lessons from all these other Latinas who are in this space right now doing the, the damn thing. It's so inspiring to watch you do what you do. Thank you for not being a part of what is very much a hallmark of the financial community, which is gatekeeping. Thank you for showing up, for deciding to do this hard thing, for putting yourself out there, for all those sleepless nights, for all the sacrifices that you've made to put this out here into the world. It's an incredible legacy that you are building. I just tip my hat to you. Thank you for the work that you do. And let us know where we can get the book, how folks can work with you. What are you up to these days? Tell us all the things. Thank you. Thank you. So you can get the book at your local bookstore. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. There's also Audible. So you can listen to it if you ain't got the time. Um, yes. The struggle's real. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and yeah, there's the book, Eight Steps for Communities of Color to Conquer the Stock Market, Wealth Warrior. And you can also, I'm teaching live stock market courses again. I'm bringing that back, not as often as before, but it needs an update. So I'm giving it an update. I'm doing that. You can find me over at inlosewetrust.com. You can find me on my Instagram at losewarrior, L-U-Z. And you can also find the stock market news morning updates at inlosewetrust on Instagram as well fantastic. And we will make sure to link all of those resources in the episode show notes, along with the link where you can purchase the book. Don't just get a copy for yourself because you know damn well, nobody in your family knows what the fuck they're doing with the stock market. So I'm going to need you to do some bulk orders, give them out for the holidays, stocking stuffers, whoever you know that needs to get their money right needs a copy of this book. Again, this is Wealth Warrior, Eight Steps for Communities of Color to Conquer the Stock Market by Linda Garcia. Linda, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.